Today, we're going to answer the question, how smart are sharks? And in our Shark Bite, we'll learn exactly what happens when a shark gets hypnotized. G'day everyone and welcome to the Shark Week, the podcast. I'm your host Luke Tipple and today we've got a really fun episode because we're going to answer an age-old trope about sharks. The ocean is home to some of the smartest animals on the planet. Dolphins, for example, have their own language. They can learn our language. They can even recognize themselves in a mirror, which is something that only humans and human-like animals can do. If you look at things like octopus, I mean, those things are crazy smart. And when you think about it, humans came from the ocean. So it should be no surprise that the ocean is home to intelligence. But when we think about intelligent animals these days, would we ever put sharks on that map of intelligence? Most people think it's just a dumb fish. But how smart are sharks? My guest today is Dr. Tristan Guttridge, and he's fascinated by that question. He's done a lot of work on it. For him, it started with his doctoral thesis, where he took on the social behavior of lemon sharks, and he found that, yes, indeed, they do have a complex social behavior. But what about other things, like can sharks learn a task? Can they teach each other tasks, or would they even want to? Can they retain memories? Got lots of questions about this. So I'm welcoming Dr. Guttridge. Welcome back to Shark Week, the podcast, mate. It's really good to see you. Let's dive right in. How smart are sharks? So we, we worked on a project about 10 years ago where we worked with these little baby Port Jackson sharks. And it was actually in Australia. And I would go down to the dock and I would give a crate of beer to this fisherman and he would give me 20 Port Jackson sharks. And that's how I, <laughs> that's how I got the sharks to run the experiments. Yeah, for anyone listening, you can yeah. buy anything with beer in Australia. That uh, yeah. It's a legend, a myth, and it's absolutely true. But it, it was just the easiest way to get hold of these animals. He was catching them and, and, and so... It, I got these animals and I was training them in captivity and, and we basically ran a, a conditioning experiment where we paired either an underwater LED light or a bubbler presentation with a piece of food. And the sharks would, all of them picked it up with, within about 10 days. Now I had to do six replicates per day with each animal. And I have videos of these little Port Jackson sharks. The moment the bubbler got presented, they'd be going over and sucking on these bubbles even yeah. though there's no food in the water. And we retested them four to six weeks later and they, would, they could do the same thing. They start biting the bubbles straight away. So they have this capacity to learn and able to remember. Well, I think, you know, somebody listening might say, yeah, that makes sense. We've got sharks who are learning how to eat and that's what sharks do. They're mindless eating machines. They go around and bite things. Like, What evidence do we have of any other type of intelligence other than them trying to capitalize on a feeding opportunity? Right, well, there's social intelligence too. Mm. Um, you know, you think about us, we're a very social animal. Uh, I, I think we're more sympathetic and we relate more to animals that are social, dolphins, elephants, lions, um, and, and sharks are actually much more social than we think too. Um, I did a series of experiments working with lemon sharks in the mangroves, this little guy behind me, and I would sit on towers and watch them interact with each other. And every single high tide, these little sharks would come into the mangroves, they'd follow each other. And they form these big kind of social groups, only up to about 20 animals. Um, but what I found was that they had preferred individuals. They had sharks that they would prefer to associate with, like buddies, basically, or familiar individuals. So that made us think, well, okay, well, maybe they actually can recognize individuals too. And we even found that in lemon sharks, there was this continuum of sociality that some were more social than others. Can we infer that different species are smarter than others then? 
I mean, when I first started working with the Port Jackson Sharks, I have to say there are a lot of people telling me they're not going to learn a thing. They are literally a swimming nose, um, you know, a snuffling pig, basically, <laughs> that lives in the ocean. Um, and they're not going to learn anything. Um, and I proved them wrong. They, they, they learned. But what was interesting is we tried to... We, we first did the experiment where we used an underwater light and it really didn't work very well. I did get an association, but it took a lot. It was a lot harder to get than the bubbles. Um, so I think it's it's dependent on on the, the stimuli and things that you use. And, you know, sharks, there's huge differences in, you know, their sensory capabilities and some are much more visual than others. Some have much bigger eyes, some have much smaller eyes, some are more lateral line specialists like your kind of bull sharks. They have really little beady eyes. So sure. You know, as you know, I mean, just... can we put some uh, some kind of parallel to it? Like, can we say, hey, the bigger the shark, the more solitary it is, the smarter it is, or the the more schooling behavior a species exhibits, the more socially intelligent they are. Like, if somebody's going to say, you know, what is the smartest shark? Is there a simple answer to that? I mean, most people would talk about the brain mass to body mass ratio, sure, and across. All the you know, I can't remember how many species they've they've looked at the brain volume and different parts of it, but I think it's something like eighty or a hundred. So quite a few, representative of of various orders as well. And your scalloped hammerheads, your more social species, have a have a much higher um, brain mass to body mass ratio than your Port Jackson sharks. Um, but they are both social, but in different ways. Um, and there seems to be more social communication with the scalloped hammerheads. Um, and there does seem to be this association with the more complex the brain is, um, it tends to be with species that are living in more complex environments like reef systems and stuff as well. I wonder with, I've chatted to a lot of fishermen and they're either kind of in two camps. They say, you know, sharks are just super dumb. They'll come and eat anything that's like flapping around in the water or they're super smart and they'll wait and they'll strike at the best moment. And I kind of look at that and I go, well, Sharks are obviously associating, say, a fishing boat with a feeding opportunity, being able to maybe get an easy meal. But then you see so many sharks swimming around with with hooks in their mouths. Like, wouldn't they learn that there is a massive deterrent to going after that easy food when they've been perfectly capable of feeding themselves for 400-some million years? Yeah, but the reward outweighs the cost, you know? And these animals are living on that edge of, you know, they, you know, if a food resource is predictable in time and place... Why would you not take advantage of it? Um, you know, and of oh, course, you might get some new jewelry. Yeah, and it kind of hurts. <laughs> I, 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 th- I think there was a study done um, a few years ago in French Polynesia or somewhere like that where they showed hook avoidance by some of these sharks that they did okay. learn to avoid certain um, areas because they'd been hooked a couple of times. And I've definitely I've seen both sides of it. I've seen you know I've caught a nurse shark on a on a hook, released it, and then caught it an hour later. And I'm like, Ooh. what are you doing, buddy? Yeah. Why? why? But, yeah, <laughs> to come back here. But it's like yeah. maybe, maybe that shark hasn't fed for like a week, and so its motivation to feed is is extremely high um, compared sure. to another species. You know, while we're kind of on this topic, I want to draw a line for people between the whole mistaken identity kind of argument because that's something I've always had a, a problem with. Yeah, it's it, it, you. What do you mean? You've had a problem with you don't well, think that they're mistaken. I don't think they're mistaking it. No, no. I make it very clear for people. Anytime somebody gets bitten, mm. a, a media organization who is being irresponsible will say, shark attack, vicious monster, blah, blah, blah. A media organization who is being, let's say, kind will say, oh, I was a mistaken identity. It, it, you know, the shark made a mistake. And I'm like, neither of those are true. 
I think it could be both. I, I, yeah. I, I do think in some instances these sharks are so motivated and and I think the environment, you've got to remember that these animals are in an environment where you've got current changes, you've got mm. um, uh, visibility changes, you've got other sharks, you've got prey, you've got predators. You know, they got to make quick decisions and I do think- Okay, so let, let's rule out turbidity, <laughs> let's rule out surf zone, let's yeah. rule out some of the, you know- you should watch Dangerous Waters. There's some interesting stuff in that show, I can tell you now. Okay, so Tristan's <laughs> talking about Dangerous Waters. It is on Shark Week this year. You definitely need to check it out. Um, and, and we will. I will watch it. But let's take out, you know, a fisherman who's standing in the middle of a, you know, a school of migrating fish and getting bitten by a black tip. Take away all those. Let's talk about a great white shark uh, hitting a swimmer or a, a tiger shark in crystal clear water in Hawaii coming up and taking the leg off a surfer. Well, are they are they making a mistake or are they just being opportunistic and trying something new? You've got to think about these animals, you know, when they're searching for prey in the environment, you know, they have like a, a search pattern in their head, like a, maybe a shape, a smell, you know, that, that, that ticks the box, you yeah. know, and then obviously through repeated encounters with all these different prey items and things, they, they get a reward. And so they'll, maybe they have this image of a, of a you know, that, that's one of the things they look for. Okay, well, that, that, that's ticked. The image is there. Okay, well, it's moving at the surface. That's ticked. Right, I'm going to go in and check it out. Like, so, you know, the, you think about the decisions these animals are making. I mean, I, you know, I, it's, it is, I think it's a lot, there's a lot more going on. And I, I also think that it's important to give credit to these animals too. You think about a white shark of full tilt going for a seal that's maneuvering the swimming the way that a seal can swim you know these are highly yeah. agile animals and you've got a white shark at what 15 20 meters down 50 feet down something like that that's monitoring an animal that's at the surface and it's got all these environmental conditions that are changing constantly it's got a search pattern in its head of what it should be going for of what a prey item should be and then it makes a split decision i i, I could you say that's mistaken identity because to the shark that is a prey item do you know what I mean? I think you're right. Uh, the way you described it just then made a lot of sense to me, and I haven't heard it that way before, where it's like, you know, you're checking those little boxes of, yes, that, that outline kind of looks like it from a long way away. Yes, it's in an area where I'm used to seeing that outline kind of from a long way away. But then there's that moment of getting close to it and accelerating. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if there is that kind of check, 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 and then they go into predation mode. And right. once you're in that mode, then it's like it's really hard to dissuade them because, you know, they, they start putting like putting the systems into gear and then they're a fighter pilot, you know, triangulating on the prey, right? Right. But and then we once don't, they're we in don't... it, they may as well spend the energy and take a bite and see what it is. True. But we also, you know, we don't see the predation events where they, they've gone in for a human but not taken it. Do you know what I mean? We, we only see yeah. the, the one that has happened. You don't see, we don't know whether there could have been, you know, hundreds of occasions, um, you know, of some of these locations where you see white sharks and people interact where... A shark was like, yeah, that's a prey, that's a prey, that's yeah. a prey. No, no, it's not. Off I go. There was a piece that just came out recently exactly about this. Uh, Sierra, could you look it up for me? Something like 97% uh, of the time surfers are in the water, they're around a white shark. It was a study in California recently. Yeah, recently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, see if you can pull that article for us, Sierra, because that was really interesting. Yeah, I have it right here. Uh, it's a surfer.com yep. article. And it says that juvenile white sharks were often observed within 50 yards of where the waves break. So that's where, you know, surfers and swimmers are. And that in San Diego County and Santa Barbara County, specifically in California, juvenile great whites were around 
were swimming near people 97% of the time. But yeah, I mean, there you go. Obviously, a lot of the time, there's a lot of sharks surrounding surfers, for example, making the decision not to bite. So I guess that shows what we're talking about. Right. Um, So do you think sharks can have personalities? We know that they can have personalities. Sharks definitely can have personalities. There's been a number of studies that have shown it. Um, You know, again, this was something that was shown with with lemon sharks um, in the Bahamas, in Bimini. We did experiments looking at social personality. We had some that were more social than others, some that would follow in more groups than others. And the good thing is that, you know, you test them again to make sure it's consistent. That's the big thing to be able to show that something, you know, behaves in a consistent way is you have to test them once and then usually have a week or two weeks be- between the two tests and see that they correlate. And yeah. the sharks that were anti- not none were antisocial, you know, they always kind of hung out with other sharks, but some did more than others and they were consistently doing that. You know, anyone that's been diving with these animals, you know, can tell that there's there seems to be there's different personalities. And we've we've shown this empirically with with hundreds of sharks. We're not just talking 10 animals. We've we've yeah. tested 150 animals. Oh, certainly. I mean, especially when you're out diving in a regular dive location, you get to know the certain animals by their yeah. markings or their size or whatever. You get to know how they like to feed, whether they will come in and feed, whether they'll approach divers. And to me, that certainly seems like at least an extreme behavioral characteristic, if not a natural personality. You know, they do yeah. seem kind of friendly in a I hate to anthropomorphize it. I know, I know it's it, tricky, yeah. I, I really hate doing that, but it it's the easiest way for us as humans to do that because we have to convey our intelligence and emotions on something to be able to understand it most of the time. And and sometimes that's how we then care about them. So like we exactly. talk about dolphins having family groups and stuff. Why would we talk about that if we didn't know what that feels like ourselves, right? Yeah. So if we're going to talk about sharks in a way that is scientifically sound, then why not infer some of those characteristics so that we can make people care about them a little bit more. Right, exactly. And, you know, when you talk about animals to your kids and you can relate them to, you know, the kids growing up and them having friends and things like that, then it, it they become more interested in them as well. Um, so I, I, I definitely think it changes people's perception when you can show that these animals are, are more complex behaviorally than, than just this dumb swimming nose. Well, let, let's make it easy for people here. Let's sum it up and say, you know, sharks are obviously a very intelligent creature, but what's a parallel? How should people think of them? Are they a dumb fish or are they a what? No, I mean, if you think about sharks, most of sharks live for a similar life, you know, have a similar life to us. You know, these are animals that are not reaching maturity until they're 12 or 14 years of age, most of them. You know, they're surviving till they're 50, 60, maybe 80 years of age. So they have long life histories. They live in the ocean. You know, they have environments that are changing, some that are predictable. You know, like these animals have evolved over 400 million years. Like it absolutely makes sense that they have complex behavioral capabilities. Um, You know, for us to even think that an animal that's been on the planet for 400 million years that lives as, you know, some animals up to like 400 years of age, to think that they can't learn, that they don't have complex social hierarchies or... You know, they can migrate from one place to another a thousand kilometers apart and go exactly back to where they were a year before. They are smart. They have to be smart to be able to do that. Well, we're seeing you all over the place and you've got a couple of shows on Discovery Channel this year on Shark Week. What was kind of your favorite scene or experiment or whatever with Jaws versus Meg? Because it's kind of tough to piss an animal that doesn't exist anymore to to a real animal, right? Right. Okay. The best scene, my most exciting moment was I was in the cage with Andy Casagrande. We've got this 
vertical ladder that's going from another cage that Kinescoli is in opposite us. The ladder goes all the way down to the bottom. And we've got this crane with a tuna that's dropping it down in front of us. And then we're trying <laughs> to get these white sharks to launch up to measure vertical speed. And it was, I mean, I was, it's like a game of sharks and ladders or sharks and shoots, apparently they call it in, uh, in, uh, in the US, but it was, it was utterly amazing. We had like this massive five meter, like 18 foot female white shark just launch. I mean, we never thought it would happen, but it literally launched right up the ladder, um, at top, top speed. Um, so that, wow. that was really exciting because it's it hard smash to- into the ladder or did it kind of no, land off took, to the side? No, it took the, the tuna. It, Followed up and took, yeah. I mean, it, honestly, you have to see it. It was so much fun. Um, I was just like a little kid. I was commentating. It was like a commentator in like a, you know, like a, a football match, just in this box, just, just you know, commentating about how the sharks were interacting with the with the with the bait. You know, are they coming? Are they coming? Move the move the tuna up. Um, yeah, it was, it was really cool. Oh, it's crazy. You get paid for this, huh? I know. I was thinking having that, all that fun. Yeah, in that moment, I was like, really, I'm being paid to uh, to do this. But yeah, that was that was really cool, and you know, it's just trying to allow people to visualize the you know the power and the attributes of these animals in a different way. Um, doing these kind of demonstrations, so yeah, it was a lot of fun. All right, it's time for the shark bite, where Sierra leaves us with a cool ocean fact to end the show. What have you got for us today, Sierra? Yeah, so we've all heard about tonic immobility, which is when when a shark gets flipped over a lot of different species, they kind of go into this trance-like state, like they've been hypnotized. We've all heard this fact, but I bet a lot of people didn't know that orcas actually capitalize on this and use it to hunt sharks. Tell us more. So the orcas, they are, you know, when they go in to hunt these sharks, they end up maneuvering them around so so that the shark gets flipped over and then they go into this trance-like state and then make it really easy for the orcas to kill them. Yeah, it's almost like, imagine if you saw a turtle kind of like wandering along and you flip the turtle over and then (laughs) they're on its back and it really can't do much. (laughs) Have you seen what they do to them afterwards? No, I haven't. Oh, okay. So this is, it's actually pretty brutal. Uh, But the, the orcas are so smart that they're managing to flip over these couple thousand pound great whites. They're grabbing onto their pectoral fins and pulling them apart like something from the gladiator days, you know, pulling them apart, <laughs> splitting them down the middle because that's like a natural break point for the sharks, exposing their liver, eating the liver, and then leaving the rest of the carcass to just degrade. That's brutal. And decompose. Yeah, it's absolutely brutal. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Now, I'm, I'm sure this isn't what the mechanism was originally designed <laughs> evolutionarily to do. Uh, to help orcas out, but uh, do you know why else it would be, be beneficial? So it's not, nothing's been proven yet, but there are some hypotheses that it could be a defensive strategy. I mean, we just talked about how orcas use this to kill them, but that when they get flipped over and they're ultimately playing dead, that it might actually deter some predators. It's one hypothesis. But yeah, it's one of those weird phenomenon that we don't really understand yet, but we do know that physiologically it slows them down. They're, they're, presumably the neural processes slow down a little bit. And they're more susceptible to what's going on around them. So good adaptation, bad adaptation. I don't know. What do you think? Mm, A little bit of both, I think. Uh, Thanks, Sierra. Yeah, you're welcome. That's it for today's podcast. I want to thank you for joining us. And I hope that today you've learned just how smart sharks are. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Tristan Gutridge, for joining us. His work is incredible. And you really should check out his nonprofit. It's called savingtheblue.org. They're doing some really good work. Until next time, I'm Luke Tipple. I'll chat to you soon.
Shark Week, the podcast is produced by Delve Media for Warner Brothers Discovery. Luke Tipple is the executive producer, and our writer and producer is Yale Rice. Our researcher and associate producer is Sierra Kehoe. For Warner Brothers Discovery, the executive producer is Christina Bavetta, and the coordinating producer is Corinne Wilson. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review and subscribe to help our mission to give sharks a voice.